With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. You're on Elder Talk with Sir Ed Carell as our monthly exploration by Lady Stephanie, Lord Don, and myself of a single concept from our different points of view. And today we're going to talk about what is magic. And you've seen in the side the uh, title we deal with magic with a K and magic with a C. So let me go ahead and deal with it. Today I'm going to ask you to expand your minds a little bit and to take the idea that magic is a multiple words. It can represent a noun. It is magical. It is uh, adverbs. It's going to be all sorts of different types of language. And I'm going to share the first part. Magic with a C has often been seen as an illusion, uh, some sort of mental or physical trick that tricks your mind into seeing something differently than what the reality is. Uh, magicians, stage magicians are often said, you know, they could do magic. So that is the first and foremost thing that people see as magic. And because they see that as magic, and because there's an explanation for it, they tend to call it illusionary. It's an illusion. It's not real because they're tricking you into thinking something's happening that is not. And this is the word that really kind of forms the idea of all magic for the most of the mainstream. So that is a really important aspect. And, and Christianity, Islam, and uh, Judaism kind of backed off and kind of said, no, these, that magic as a whole is illusionary. It's not real. It has no effect. It doesn't exist. And that especially as we've gotten into the scientific world, it says, oh, no, if it has an explanation, it cannot be magical. So understand that. The second word, magic with a K, is is an attempt to differentiate it. And I'm not sure that's necessary. But to differentiate the idea of the stage magician who then creates these illusions gets us to think about things. Now, I think that they're magical and powerful no matter what the process is. All magic is explainable. It's not unexplainable. It's just maybe beyond our current understanding of how it's explainable. Um, for the child who sees the magician who passes around light between thumb to thumb, they don't think of it as, it's, it's oh, it's just an illusion. They think about, wow, that's incredible, and they stand in awe and wonder. So for me, anything that can invoke awe and wonder is magic, regardless of the explanation behind it, regardless of the mechanics behind it. Now, one of the biggest things that we have as human beings is this idea of the imagination. And man, have we got an imagination. We're able to imagine things that exist or don't exist. We're able to create stories. The entirety of our civilization is based on this one capability, this one sense of the universe, and that is imagination. And now we're starting to find out that our memories and imagination may have been a symbiote, a virus that attached itself to us and kind of expanded those parts of the brains. 
and became part of our, our DNA in a very strong way. And that would be a way that nature would have evolved us. That would, in and of itself would have been a magical moment. Can you imagine if you got really, really sick? And all oh, our shamans talk about this death experience. And, and it activates these sort of things. But you got really, really sick from a pretty much an unknown virus. And then when you came back, you started having visions for the first time. Like, oh, my gosh, I have a memory. I can think about things. And then from that memory, it built our ability to have an imagination, an idea that you can structure things in your mind that don't exist yet. And everything we do begins as magical, subjective. No matter what the idea is, no matter what it begins as, it begins as magical, subjective, meaning it, magic, in this case, the possibility of something happening that you cannot necessarily believe will happen, and it's personal and subjective, meaning you are the only one who can experience it at that moment. A good example is that uh, the idea of you know, light coming into your eyes, or can you imagine how magical that first moment of fire was? I always go back to my, my, my life as a fire bearer. I've had many, many past, the strongest past life experience I've ever, ever had continues to be me as a fire bearer. And very long time ago, it's a very, very, very old life. And people don't really talk often about the, the life as a prehistoric human, you know, pre, you know, even pre-sapien. But um, I very much have this memory of being a fire bearer and having to go get fire because it was a living, breathing being. And this isn't a subjective, completely subjective. I do, no one can tell me um, that I can prove that this is true. No one. It's subjective to me. It's something that I feel. It makes up my experiences. That I've had this very strong past life when I was in South Africa, when I was at the uh, Mahali Mountains, and uh, I was doing sweat lodges with a group of people that I had this very strong, strong, strong experience of of going into the night, going into it, and having this sort of shape-shifting moment where I became my ancestor, my very primitive ancestor. And they were hunting fire, and I had to tend fire, and fire was this sort of magical creature. It hurt. It burned. It talked. And my mind was just absorbing all of this idea of it being there, and I would take care of it. And I have a memory of that. I did this over several lifetimes, over several essences of being and learning how to cook food with it and how to train it and how to teach it and how to feed it and how it fed me. Now, we know that this was a very instrumental part, even if it was not a, a thing. We now, as a scientific objective society, um, very much the idea of it, that it, we do know now that that man did learn how to control fire. He learned how to capture it and eventually learned how to create it. And that it actually softened, gave us our jaws that led us into sapiency. It, uh, it withdrew our jaw. We were learning how to create a second stomach, more or less. We were learning to soften food. We brought a force of magic, a thing we learned subjectively and magically, and eventually became a scientific objective of our society, and it became the fuel of everything. So what it was the great god Prometheus, what did he do to save mankind? And there's an idea that Prometheus wanted us to, to fill the galaxy is that he brought us fire, and fire represented knowledge. So, so that kindling of fire is the source of knowledge, a source of magic. 
way beyond tools, way beyond spearing things, way beyond the construction of our tools. We learned to deal with fire as magic. And we became part of our society. It became the center of our society. Today, we can't get past the power of fire. Everything we do is based on that very primitive, imaginative, and magician, that shaman, who learned how to take care of fire. We generate everything from it. Fire is the core of our civilization. We are a fire civilization. And that essence of it is really where we start our journey into magic. So magic, fire became the ability to project us out of the primitive world of being only durinal or daylight creatures or night creatures. It gave us the ability to breach into the night. We could we could keep fire to keep ourselves going into the night. We could learn to dance around it. We learned to use it in so many different ways. So as we learned how to use fire, it, it built a cognitive process with us. Now, the second way we learned about magic was around once we started getting around these fires and we were able to test new foods and and different ideas. Magic would come from our imaginations. Again, I cannot get away from the art that imagination is magic. If you have an imagination, you have magic. That's simple. You can imagine yourself into a witch. You can imagine yourself into anything if you're willing to execute on your imagination. But without imagination, you're just a mechanical thing. Simply put, without imagination, you're a mechanical thing. The heart of all of the teachings that you will see inside of places like witch school and uh, with the priesthood or shamanism is ability to visualize the world, to understand the world, to allow it into your imagination that you allow it to creep out. And so one of the other beliefs is that very early man um, was possibly affected by psychedelics, mushrooms and other pieces of their environment. That they today, many mammals still do this today. We know reindeer love to eat amica mushrooms. We know that the dolphins love to play with puffer fishes. We now see um, orangutans who will actually guard grape uh, um, citrus trees in their area to allow the plants to ferment. This ability to alter our minds is a very essential part. And that at one time or another, we may have very well often used mushrooms and other sorts of psychedelics to kind of expand our minds. And we're not talking about, oh, just the big party drug we take, because we've really distorted psychedelics in our society now as a usage of it. We've really distorted it into this is destruction of the imagination. Understand, I believe strongly that one of the biggest things that we've seen happen in our world is the continuous destruction of our imagination, in essence, it being destroyed to allow us to freely think, to freely expand, to protect creativity, but to are directed towards productive creativity. I'll get more into that. But more importantly, so we may have had at this time in our history, psychedelics, which gave us this ability to expand our brain, and that over generations and over time, that these constant visions that we're having, this constant process, of, of the sort of increasing of our imagination, our increasing of our memories, our ability to language and communicate. Again, we say magic is a power of words, so, so we have these experiences of psychedelics. 
and they started giving us things that we wanted to express. So the next thing we say magic is, is, is the word. Words are magic, and that's the truth. We became – not only did we start not controlling fire, not only did we start softening our food, not only did we need that, we started cooperating. Again, in our imaginations, we started figuring out ways, sitting around a campfire going, hmm, how do I tell everybody what I want them to do? And we started learning to express ourselves to each other. We started creating noises that we each agreed on. We started to create symbolism in our art. We started creating ability to make hand gestures and grunts and groans and sounds that we still use today in our magic. Om or uh, we still use these things. They're just inside of us. And society's been trying to teach us not to use the most primitive languages we have. There's 32 words in the entire world that we know that it's our, we're the original common language. Look it up. It's very interesting, fascinating. I won't go into them, all of them now. But we do know that, like, mom is one of the oldest words out there. It just literally is old, old, old world where we kind of identified the feminine. And that was one of the very first words we learned to start to speak was mom, a version of ma. The actual word is ma. Ma. Ma's primitive. Ma's natural. Ma's deep inside our psyches. And so we kind of deal with it. So magic is very much about dealing with our internal psyches as much as it is about anything else because it is the development of imagination. Let us go back to what it is. It is the development of our imagination that makes magic work. So there we have us around the fire, eating mushrooms, actually now being able to work in a cooperative effort because we're now learning to use language. And language is regenerative. And that, you know, as we speak, we create. This is a very important aspect of it. Words are regenerative. Language is regenerative. It can be a lot of other things, but it is absolutely regenerative. What do I mean by regenerative? It can be used as a prison. Thou shalt not. And you can you know, allow that to stop your imagination. Oh, I can't think in that direction. Or the language says, well, I don't even have a word for that. Well, imagine one. But you can do that. So it can be a prison. It can be a lockstep. It can be a lot of other things. But at the end of the day, the best language is regenerative. It's a process in which we kind of deal with that basically sets up the premise of it. I think it's going to be a beautiful day. You put a filter out there. You put that in your imagination. And your imagination then starts to look for evidence to see if it's true because we do not like to live in our imaginations alone. And in fact, one of the things we're being taught is not to be a daydreamer or an imaginative person. We're using the word creative instead of imaginative because imaginative takes us beyond our borders. To be creative, we're trying to express ourselves in a way that people understand. But creative people are working usually within a, a thinner, stronger box of it. I'm a creative painter. I'm a creative artist. I'm a creative speaker. It means I'm expressing my, myself, sometimes my imagination, but sometimes it's just the world. Uh, and anyway, I, I'm a creative songwriter. I'm creative. But if you're imaginative first, you're something more than just a creator. Imagination creates magic. Creativity is the expression of that magic. So once you have an imaginative system, 
you then can say, well, I'm going to express this. I'm going to find ways to express it so that my fellow humans can understand what I'm looking at. And that could be through magic. It can be through expression through theater. Oh, that was such a magical play. I understood what the artist was telling me. Magic is art. Art is magic. It just simply is. It's taking our imagination, expressing it creatively, and then it creates the art, which then affects others. So now we get into the more traditional, more modern, that magic is changing your environment through an act of will. So once you imagine how you want your environment to be, and you're willing to be creative to do so, you create acts. Either they, they look sensible, like you know, creating a painting or a sigil or you know, a talisman or any number of dozens of items that express this so that it has an exertion on it. Or you create a visualization or you just express it through an incantation. I love incantations. I think incantations are extremely important. So we're probably one of the areas that I most work on my own inner magic is through incantations. And what do I mean by incantations? Today I shall have an incredible day. I owe, I owe, off to work we go. Um, I have I have dozens of them. Uh, another one I use is like this. I will be, I will speak clearly. I will speak honestly. I will speak truthfully, and I will speak so that others can understand me. I do that. That's an incantation. I do an awful lot before I go on the air. But I don't necessarily know that you're going to understand me or the words I'm going to say are going to re- resonate with you. And, and, and very likely most people it won't because they go, oh, I don't believe in magic. I don't believe – and Ed, you're, the way you're talking about magic is way different than I was taught. As I said, I'm hoping that you will look at it and you open your mind up to the idea of how magic works for me. And for me – it starts in the imagination. Then it's expression through creativity. And then once you express it creatively, people can see it. They can then do something to say, well, I agree with you. I like that creativity. Let me go ahead and create something just like it or exactly like it. And sometimes, such as medicines, they start to do it again and again. They do it repetitively. Some alterations until they find a formula that absolutely works. I mean, absolutely works. Um, my, you know, willow bark into aspirin, and then it starts to move from being creative, you know, magical subjective to mainstream creative to scientifically objective. Meaning, yes, this works most of the time. This works really well. That if you take medicine. You know, if you take these pills, if you take this medicine, if you take my morning insulin because I'm a diabetic, you're going to survive better and longer. And this isn't a question. You don't have to question anymore. The world tries to get you to stop questioning. So the enemy of the of imagination is the ability is is the center of saying that we know everything and we don't have to play with it anymore. That we're not really allowed to be imaginative. We don't need to find another solution because we've got a good solution. So the idea of the perfect weighs out the good. The perfection avoids progress because with everything we see is perfect. If we see that we've come to the end of our imaginative world, 
And this is a very strong thing that I see in Christianity and, and, and the idea of Islam and a lot of other types of religious folks is that they're saying you can't be imaginative. You can't imagine what would be happening. What if we had another Messiah? What if we decided that the Bible was not necessarily the inherent truth of the earth? What if it, we know that something about it? Let's say we reimagine Moses. Let's write a new story about Moses. You know, let's talk about more adventures of Moses. Um, or you're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to express our things. So this is where spiritual magic is very different from religious magic. Religious magic is once you get the ideas of how it does so, it seeks to restrict intelligence. It seeks to restrict the imagination. We do rituals, and they're magical such as your Christ and other things, in order to avoid allowing you to use imagination so that you can create new expressions towards God or to spirit. So religion, they always say, in religion you do it because religion says it's right, regardless of how you feel about it. In spirituality, you try to do what's right, regardless of what everybody believes. It's a very powerful point for me. So for me, some of the greatest magic I've done, and I've done great magic. And so you can explain it. The great crystal web began with a single crystal on my part. There's other people who have done – and the crystal web is more of a conglomerate of magic of several people, of several different people. But the great crystal web, as we currently know it, as the way that I imagined it and, and created the first framework for I can share with other people – was planting a crystal at a tree in Lincoln Park in Chicago on 8888 because the number was magical. I thought that was imaginative. I wanted it to blossom, and I wanted it to reach, help me reach people around the world. I was very lonely. I had my family, and I loved my family, but I was very lonely, and I was very, you know, I wasn't sure. I was 25, a little more than 25 years old, and I was just very unsure of myself. I was very, like, ideas, and I had all these ideas in my head, and I was just expressing imagination. So I created the, the, uh, the Crystal Web as a way to connect magical people and allow us to share our thoughts. My belief in telepathy, I could imagine that telepathy works. I imagined myself being a telepath. I imagined myself as, a, as an empath. I didn't identify myself with it. I imagined that I could identify myself with it. And then I planted crystals in the ground, and I shared it with other people. And more and more people loved the idea so much of it being creative. Yes, it went from being imaginative and then became started becoming a creative process. And I love that. It became a creative process of where could we plant crystals and how could we add more crystals and writing rituals for it. And today, not only is it creative and imaginative, it's the largest magical construction in the world, one of the great magical constructions of the world, that's in dozens of countries and over a million crystals that have been passed out. It's one of the great, it's one of the great magical construction and it's still very imaginative. We imagine that it's there. We visualize it there. We create the process in which we think it exists and it has not yet reached the objective scientific level, meaning that it can be proven to have an effect. We still have to get people to have faith and belief and it becomes really and a magical, it still remains magical and subjective, and occasionally, and and it's creative, and it's still 
something that we have to share. Now, we may share amongst many, many people, and we may have a group that all share in the magical experience, and that's a fantastic thing to have a group of people willing to share in the magical, magical world and into a magical process. That's why we do ritual. That's why we do expanding rituals so we can actually share our creativity and agree that these are ways that we enter into trance state, that we discover these scientific objectively um, items, that they are beginning to become magically objective. So the process is, of course, it goes from scientifically, before it becomes scientific, meaning it's a duplicatable effort, it becomes magical objective, i.e., I share this spell with you. And while it may be still subjective to all of us, it becomes objective to all of us because we can all feel that energy. We all kind of agree we're having a similar subjective experience. So we move from the idea of magical subjective to magical objective in our ritual system and our ability to create things and our ability to understand things. So we begin with the idea, I spoke to a god and the god told me to commit this ritual. And that's an absolutely magical subjective. It is absolutely something we do personally. Then I go out and says, share this ritual with me. Take this mushroom with me. Take this chant with me. Sit there with me before the fire. And the God will speak to you too. Now, it may or may not do so, but you, you get into this thing. And all of a sudden, the God speaks to you too. Now it becomes magical objective. And so we all kind of share in this idea of the actual magic being objective, i.e., I can now teach you what I believe will expand your mind. I will find a way to enhance your imagination. I will create ways of creative. And in that process, I can teach you things about physical items or emotional items or mental items that become true, and those become object, scientific objective, i.e., we now know after – experience the magical subjective, and I, I shared it with you in a magical objective, that we now know mushrooms, psychedelics, will transform your mind. It will unleash some sort of hallucinogenic effect that will change the way that your brain works for a period of time. That's scientifically objective. We know that's true. But the experience you have with it remains magically subjective and maybe even magically objective if you share it with others. Same may be true for various types of medications and medicines. Reiki is now becoming magically objective on the verge of being objective scientific, meaning that the result of, of Reiki becomes so powerful and so strong and so discernible that we're starting to see people going, hmm, it works. And that's still magically objective, meaning that it's still for the biggest part. I share this magic with you, and it's going to work, and you, we all agree. And there's a thing called this placebo effect, which is a really powerful effect. That means if I believe I'm taking a medication, my body reacts to it. And it's such an important principle of magic, i.e., the mind working to heal itself, that in, when they do drug trials, they actually have to take that into account. They actually have to give people fake drugs, fake projects, see how they react to it, and test that against the actual medication, because we now know, and it's fascinating, that a certain amount of population, a certain amount of people will actually heal themselves by, by just simple 
mental belief that they will see an effect of the drug by being suggested that the drug works. This is now a scientific objective reality that began as a magical subjective idea, became magically objective idea, and now scientifically objective. So are there ever any scientifically subjective ideas? Yes, but I don't know how to express them because I don't have the language for that yet. That, you know, that we have certain scientific effects that can always bring out something that is very personal and subjective. Um, it looks like quantum physics observation theory might be amongst that line. We really have never explored the idea that science could be purely subjective, meaning only I experience this sort of science. By definition, we tend to see science as a bigger thing, but we don't with magic. So we get back to our story here is that what is magic? Magic is the expression of the imagination through our creative actions that set a will to our environment to change our environment in a way that we choose to live our lives and that we have experiences based on these magical ideologies that we turn into rituals, we can turn them into incantations, we can do it in all sorts of different ways. But it all begins that magic is the imagination and that imagination is like fire that Prometheus brought down. That magic, the imagination, is the fuel of, of magic. Everything we do comes back. Can we imagine it? Can we feel it? Can we think about it? And we do so much power in the imagination, and that is where magic is. And today's world is trying to so desperately, leadership, Everybody else says, oh, I'm going to fire up your imagination. No, they're not really trying to fire up your imagination. They're trying to trick your imagination into being less expressive. They're trying to create mental windfalls to say, no, don't imagine what it was like to be on the cross of Jesus Christ. There was a whole therapy for a while. Like, Can you imagine how much it hurt? What was it like to be Christ on the cross? Well, you can't imagine that. Why not? Of course you can imagine it. You shouldn't. It's blasphemy. You know, what if I could become a Messiah? What if I could become a person of importance? What if I could teach love? Well, you can. You can imagine anything. Now, does it mean it'll it'll manifest in the physical world? No. There's no guarantee of that. You have to work on it. You have to be subjective to it. You have to see it. So deep down in my heart, and I, as you know, I've made a lot of predictions over the years, and, and a lot of them have come true. Um, the idea that we would have at the beginning of 2020 over a million and a half witches, I said that 10 years ago. I could imagine it. I could see the ideas of it. And I took some of the science ideas, and I took some of the information and data and fed it to my imagination. And I go, I can imagine that. And you can do, do it with data. You can add data to it. You can do anything with your imagination. You can imagine imaginary creatures. You can have whole conversations. You can create whole books. You can create a whole world in your imagination. And in fact, we do. Lots of fiction writers do every day. And so do nonfiction writers because they have to imagine what the world is like so that they can create it expressively. So powerful is this agent called imagination. And it's a sense. It's a, it's a power of our brain, but we all fight against it. We've been taught to, to bring it down because 
if I can't imagine something, I can't create it. If I can't imagine hope, I can't create it. So if a government wants to destroy me and make me a good servant, they destroy my imagination. They make it impossible for me to express myself. They try to take that away from me. If a religion wants to be dominant, they say there is no other god but this god. Not what we do in paganism. We imagine different gods and then the expression of it. So the idea of orthodoxy. And then they try to trap or use their own magic against us by saying this ritual is the only authorized ritual to reach trance or to create miracles. So for me, I did one thing that I have. So I have taken and have created a magically objective moment. It's not scientifically objective, but it is enough science. I have enough science in it to be scientifically subjective. So we've been talking about this. What the heck am I talking about? I went to Starwood and I had a great, you know, I had really super depressed. I was very, very hurt about what was happening. And I just really kind of gave up on things. I just needed to get away. And I decided to go to Starwood, broke, angry, hot, and hostile. Even my shoe was broken. I mean, I literally was a broken being. That's right. And I had very little hope and very little imagination left. I took sacrament, and um, and Byron Bell kind of focused me a little bit. I want to always thank her for that. Um, I don't know her very well on a personal level. I've seen her as a magical person. I've learned about her as a community leader. Um, my own encounters, I've had limited encounters. I do consider her a friend. I've had to spend time with her. But and not in any objective way. I would not, you know, I'm I'm at best, I am at best, I am somebody, I think she asked me to do anything. I think I am a friend that doesn't know her yet, and she doesn't know me really well yet. But we are friendly, and we are allies at some time. So I think of all of those things. So I don't want to misrepresent a, a relationship where I have, you know, where I think that, you know, where she's at. I think she's fantastic. I think you buy her books. I think she's talking a lot of news. Um, but she kind of focused me and I went out into the woods and I had an encounter with a spirit, a fairy. I'm, I'm going to say it right now. It was the fae, a very strong fae creature, uh, of this earth. And, uh, he was very masculine. He had a very feminine entity with him, with him. It looked like a tree. It looked like a walking living woman tree. And he was very much more animalistic, very mammalian. Uh, you would almost think of him panish. But not quite, but he was the spirits of that, and he was tired of me being so angry and so hurt, and he, you know he was talking to me, and he told me that you're you know the war that you've expected is coming they've started they gave me some of the messages like you need to really look at don't be upset and sad about what's happening, you need to get really into what you've expected you it's it's here it's coming you you're dealing with it now, and now that you're dealing with it. You need to be more aware of it. And that same message I got from it, but it go, oh, no, no, no. And that one of the other things it says the Fae are looking for help, too, that, that there's going to be great disasters. And the Fae are as much trouble of, of entering and reentering this world as anyone, and that this has huge consequences. So all of these words were given to me, and they were all very subjective. They're all personal to me. And I go, oh, okay, I'm not going to give this message out to the world. I'm not going to have a UPG, an unverifiable personal gnosis. I don't care it was magical. I don't care it was subjective. 
I'm not going to take it out into the world. And then they took it and I said, okay. And they said, they took my eyes out of my head. Very strange experience, very painful experience. And they cleaned and they handed it to the woman and she cleaned my eyes. And they gave them back to me. They cleaned other parts of me. But that is the thing I would remember. And I would go back to my tent that night and go to sleep and just sleep off the rest of the night in part of this sort of strange thing that I, you know, I had strange dreams. So I got up in the morning and I looked out and this, I looked at a tree across the way. There's a lot of trees, but this one tree caught my image and it looked so strange. It looks really, really strange. And I realized, oh my gosh, I think I might be seeing green for the first time. I was colorblind. I am scientist. And it is a scientifically a scientific fact that I was colorblind. I mean, I passed, I failed colorblind tests. I failed my um, military career. I was going to be a countermate missile. I ended up as a yeoman because during uh, A school, they discovered I was colorblind. They couldn't continue in the electronics field. It's not why I'm not a computer tech. I love computer tech. I love the science of it. But I was never able to really get into it because my colorblindness limited me. It's not why I never became a graphic design. In fact, the entire Corellian tradition the heavy blues and a lot of the heavy colors that you see early on are meant to be acceptable to people who have color blindness. It's an absolute true thing. It's an amazing process. And so for me, so then I realized I was seeing full color. I was seeing all sorts of things that I had never seen before. And I was going around in Starwood listening to people. Um, one of the next things I would do is I would go to Phil Farber the next day that day and I was like going to his his ritual and I had met all these people and I saw so much color. I was like and I was shutting up because I thought maybe it was effective sacraments. I felt, felt maybe this is just something my mind's imagining. And then the next day I was still I could see color and to this day I could see color and it still blows me away. So for me I had a I have a scientifically objective piece. I am not colorblind where I was colorblind before. And I say it came through the spirit thing, through the spirit clearing them. Nobody can believe that it's not true, but they can go, wow, so that's magical objective. You claim to have had a magical effect where we can see the results of that, and we don't necessarily know how to explain it. There might be an explanation, and I've gotten several of them along the way of what may have happened. But it became magical objective to me. I mean, I could share it, I could express it, and I can prove it. I can improve that something happened to me, and I feel it's magical, and I can explain it to you, and you can see the objective results of it. Witch school is another one. I can claim all day. Uh, you can tell me all the scientific reasons why witch school is the largest – scientific objective is the largest online school, and the Cordellian tradition now is the largest Wiccan tradition in the history of the world. We have more practitioners in more countries than anyone ever seen. But I will tell you that it was a magical moment in my life where I casted a candle, saw a vision, saw a response, and got it, and I would then act on it. And even when other people laughed at me, when other people fought with me, when everybody else said what I saw was impossible or ridiculous or stupid, who'd ever learn on an online school? Today, there's dozens of them. Today, we're getting now even copycats. Now, we're even getting the fakers in. But when I started, it was considered heresy, terrible, but my imagination allowed me to visualize what a school online would look like. And then 
I share it with other people, and they said, oh, yeah, I can see that too. They became more objective. Uh, Don Lewis, Lisa Tewitt, and Lisa Tewitt finally made it scientific, objective. She actually built it for me. And so we built this sort of thing, and today everything is history. But that became from imaginative, subjective moment of lighting a candle and asking for, for vision, for recognition. I have a number of these moments. Patrick McCollum, who's now going to a 50th anniversary this year, talked to the same thing, that he did a ritual where everybody else was asking for things. He says he wanted his magic to change the world. And today he has changed the world. And he's trying to share that magic. Why use your magic for little things? Why not change, say, change the world? Because whatever you're asking your magic to do, it will do. And you have to be willing to be subjective enough to accept that it is happening. And then when it's happening to you, you'd be objective enough to be able to share it with other people, if necessary. And then you go on and create more and more things. And today, that way, I see this all over the place. And I'm hoping that I can teach more people how to take their ideas from being magically subjective to knowing what they want, finding their destination, and growing into it. So that's what magic is for me. It can be a lot of other things to other people. It can be all sorts of different things to other people. But for me, magic is imagination. When you execute your on your imagination, it becomes creativity. Creativity becomes objectivity. We, we go from basically creating something in imagination and manifesting it into the physical world. And that act, no matter how it goes, no matter how scientific or magical or creative it is, that's real magic. And then from time to time, you'll have these synchronicities or events that happen that you may not be able to explain, but that's part of the magical process. And what's my next magical process? I believe that we are going to be 10 million people by 2025, and that this year I want to create a moment where I can explain my community to itself and to others. I want to create the show that I've been doing, and I want people to do it, and it's become magically objective. Several people have endorsed it. Several people can see what I'm talking about. But I've been fighting for years subjectively to find the answers to allow me to continue forward. And someday there's going to be videotapes. There's going to be online broadcasting. Sometime next year you're going to see the show that I wanted to bring about, either being podcasts or being in video, and that in some way I'm going to create the show, which is going to show us as a pagan world, and we're going to show it to the mainstream, and then we're going to inspire and aspire more people to think with their imagination and to be creative and to join us in our magical objective world and to recreate the world in our image. Because the power of our imagination, the power of fire itself, is allowed us to recreate the world. And now we're going to discover fire again another time. And once we discover that, and as we're discovering that, as we're regaging our magic in a world that is growing more magical, it may be growing more scientific, but it's definitely growing more magical simultaneously, that we will be able to function and act as magicians, witches, pagans, magical folks of all kinds. And with that, I hope that we each can find our own expression, our own verifiable miracle in our lives, to find the magic and miracles that make us all human, and more than human, Gaius, more than Gaius, spiritual beings that share the universe. And that's what I hope for you and blessed for you. I hope you have had a good time with this, 
Um, and I hope to hear from you. If you have any questions, call me at Ed the Pagan. Any platform, Ed the Pagan at gmail.com is my direct email. You can find me anywhere as Ed the Pagan. And that is another magical story. Blessed be. May the magic travel with you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.